Today's scripture reading will be from 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Good morning and welcome to our worship service. We're grateful for your presence. As always, we want to express appreciation to those of you who are visiting. We invite you to come back and be with us at every occasion that you have. And if you are in the process of looking for a place to work and worship, we invite you to consider the church here at Olive Branch. We would love to have you come and join hands with us as we strive to make known the good news of the gospel in this community. We're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 2, specifically verses 1 and 2 in our study today. And I want us to think for just a few moments about the theme, the attorney that has never lost a case. Now, I'm not going to be talking today about Matlock or Perry Mason. Some of you might be familiar with those guys. And I know that in the realm of television, those guys never lose. Well, in the real world... Those who function as attorneys may be very successful in many of their endeavors, but typically they will lose a case from time to time. But I want to talk today about a very special attorney, a defense counselor. The one I'm talking about has never lost a case. Not only has he never lost a case, but I can assure you he will never lose a case. I'm talking about Jesus Christ. And I want you to think with me for just a few moments about what John records in these first two verses of chapter 2. Now the first thing that we want to address has to do with the ideal. That is, the divine ideal set forth by God. Listen to what is said in the first part of chapter 1, or rather chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things I write to you, that you may not sin. Now, if you want a target or a mark, you might want to call it a goal, that is before those of us who belong to the body of Christ, here it is in verse 1. That we rise above sin. That's what we're striving for. We're trying to live above sin. That's why John said, I'm writing to you that you may not sin. Now you might ask the question, why is it that the Lord would want me to rise above sin? Why make that my goal, my target, my aim in life? Well, there are at least two reasons that I can think of. The first has to do with the fact that as a Christian, we have died to sin. In other words, we have put that old way of life to death. Paul talks about how in Christ we are new creatures. Old things are passed away. In verse 17 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he said, All things have become new. Well, what... What took place in our conversion? 
where we literally died to self. And not just self, but to sin. In Romans chapter 6, at verse 3, Paul said, Know ye not that all we who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together with him in the likeness of his death, we shall also be with him in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that the old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that we should henceforth no longer serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. So when you obeyed the gospel, when you became a Christian, in effect, you died to sin. Paul said in Colossians 3 verse 1, If then you be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. That's our ideal. That's our goal. We're striving for things which are heavenly. After all, Paul said our citizenship is in heaven. Whence also we wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So a death has taken place. We have put to death that old way of life. But then there is another reason why we are to rise above sin. And this has to do with the fact that you and I, as God's people, have been delivered from sin. In other words, it no longer has mastery over us. We're not under the reign of sin or the rule of sin. Jesus said in John 8 verse 32, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The gospel of Christ liberates us from spiritual death. In Romans chapter 8 at verse 1, Paul said, There is now therefore no condemnation. To them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh. You see, that old way of life has been done away. We've died to sin. Not only have we died to sin, but we have been delivered from the power of sin. For example, in Colossians 1, Paul talks about how we have been delivered out of the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. And so that's what takes place when you and I obey the gospel of Christ. We now have as our master, Jesus Christ. There is a change of ownership. We are said to be slaves of Christ. Before, that is before our conversion, we were a slave or servant of Satan. But now we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the ideal that is set forth in the scriptures. My little children, these things I write to you, that you may not sin. But now, in the second place, we want to think about the ordeal. You see, there is the ideal, but then also John brings to mind the ordeal. What are we talking about when we say that you and I as God's people sometimes face an ordeal? Well, let's just look again at verse 1, chapter 2. John said, My little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. That's the divine ideal. And if anyone sins, the old King James Version says, But if any man sins, 
You see, that lets us know right there that there is the possibility that you and I, as God's people, may sin. As a matter of fact, it is highly probable that we're going to sin. Why is that? Because we are not sinlessly perfect in this life. Take, for example, what John said in verse 8 of chapter 1. If we say that we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Look at verse 10. If we say that we have no sin, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So we have to come to an understanding that as Christians... We are imperfect people. Our divine ideal is that we rise above sin. But John said, if any man sins. That just might be the case that you would raise the question. Well, what about what John said over in chapter 3? Because in chapter 3, John talks about those who belong to God, who have been born of God, and he said they don't sin. How do you reconcile these two passages of Scripture? Well, let's just look at 1 John chapter 3. If we pick up in verse 4, John said, Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, for sin is lawlessness, or sin is literally the transgression of the law. What we're talking about is, as members of the body of Christ, sometimes we transgress the law of God. We fall short. Now, when you sin, when I sin, the verdict is we're what? We're guilty. I mean, how are you going to plead your case before God the Father? You and I, when we engage in wrongdoing, the only thing that we can say is we sinned. We messed up. We fell short. Sin is literally the missing of the mark. That's what happens. All right, now look at verse, look now at verse 5. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Now, wait a minute. John just said, my little children, these things I write to you, that you sin not, and if anyone sins. Here he's telling me that I will not sin, I cannot sin, and yet in chapter 2, He said that there is the possibility we will sin. How do we reconcile that? How how am I to understand that? Well, look at verse 7, if you would. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil is sin from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. There we have that idea again. You mean to tell me that once I become a Christian, I will not, I cannot sin? For his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor is he who does not love his brother. There is a key word in this text that I think we need to understand and appreciate. It is the word practice. What John is saying in chapter 3 when he says we can't sin, 
or we will not sin, what he is saying is we're not going to practice that way of life anymore. You see, before you obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, you were a sinner. You were under the reign of sin. You belonged to Satan. Sin was a way of life for you. You didn't think anything about living for God. But once you became a Christian, you said, I've got to make some changes. I'm getting out of the sinning business. I'm not going to live for Satan anymore. I'm not going to live in spiritual darkness. And so, the key, verse 7, he who practices righteousness. Verse 10, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Now, if you go back to chapter 1, verse 7, John said, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of his son Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. The idea is that we have a relationship with the Lord. That we are doing our dead level best to practice a righteous way of life. We're trying to live in harmony with the teaching of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We're trying to live in accordance with his will. So that's how you reconcile what John says in chapters 1 and 2 and chapter 3. So, we're out of the sinning business. We're not practicing sin. But, if we succumb to temptation, thereby relenting and engaging in sin, what kind of hope do we have? What assurances do you and I have as God's people? Well, let's just look again at what John says. My little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Let me just read for you a definition of this word advocate. The term means summoned. Called to one side, to one's aid. The term carries the idea of pleading another's cause before a judge. A counselor for the defense. So what is Jesus then doing for me? Well, what John is saying is that if you sin as a child of God, if you stumble and fall, what you need to understand is you have an advocate in heaven. Your advocate is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He is functioning for you on your behalf, if you please, in the presence of God. Now just pause here and think for a moment. Imagine that you have committed some type of crime. You've been involved in some incident and you know without a shadow of a doubt you're guilty. Now because of your guilt, because of the circumstances surrounding your crime, the evidence that will be presented by the prosecution, you know that you're going to spend some time in prison. 
you know that you're going to receive a weighty sentence. Now, let me just, let me just ask this question. Who do you want defending you? Do you want somebody fresh out of law school? That's no reflection on somebody that's just gotten out of law school. I understand that everybody has to begin somewhere in life. No, you want a seasoned veteran. You want somebody that's been in the heat of battle. You want somebody that has tried some cases and has a track record, don't you? If I'm going to court and I know that there's a mountain of evidence out here and that I'm guilty without a shadow of a doubt, I want the very best counsel in my defense. Well, what's the point? When you transgress the law of God, when you and I sin, we want the very best counselor. We want somebody standing in the presence of God who has the ability to plead our case effectively. Well, who is that person? Oh, it's Jesus Christ. He is our advocate. He is the one who makes intercession for us. He is literally going to plead our case to our Heavenly Father. Now, here's something else to remember. There are corporations and there are individuals in our world today because of the nature of their lives and because of the businesses that they're involved in. They have legal counsel. And they have legal counsel on retainer. That means that if anything comes up, they just call their attorney, say, this has come up, I need you to handle this. You see, we belong to the Lord. We are his people. We are Christians. Jesus Christ, the Hebrew writer said in chapter 7, ever lives to make intercession for us. Because he ever lives to make intercession for us, guess what? Jesus Christ is on permanent retainer. There will always be the assurance for those of us who are faithful Christians, that Jesus Christ is in the presence of God pleading our case when the need arises. Now, how good is that? To know that when I stumble and fall, Jesus Christ is ready and willing to plead my case. Now, listen to what John said in verse 9, chapter 1. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here is Jesus Christ interceding on our behalf, pleading our case. And based on what he has done at the cross, on Calvary's cross, his blood is availing in our lives. And so, on that basis, you and I are forgiven. Now, let me tell you this. The covenant under which you and I live today, God will forgive and forget your sins. The Hebrew writer said in chapter 8, verse 12, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. And their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. You see, you and I do not have to care carry the baggage of sin around on a daily basis. In the mind of God, when we have been forgiven, that incident, that sin, 
has been forgotten. That's a beautiful thing. And so John said that when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now, let me just very quickly run this by you concerning the word propitiation. This word simply means the turning away of wrath by an offering. God has been propitiated as a result of the vicarious death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Now, you and I, we live in a world today in which many people don't want to think about the wrath of God. But we're talking about a holy, righteous, and just God. One who cannot look upon evil or sin. And so, in order to balance the scales of divine justice, Jesus Christ had to go to the cross and bear our sins. And because of what he has done on the cross... You and I are saved from wrath to come. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 10, Paul speaks of the second coming of Christ, and he said that Jesus will deliver us from the wrath to come. You and I today, we need to, we need to understand that we have the best Defense counselor known to mankind. We have Jesus Christ functioning on our behalf. And because of that, we can live with assurance. Because Jesus Christ died on the cross, we have the hope of eternal life. And God has been propitiated. You and I, we are not perfect people. We are forgiven people. Sometimes we stumble, we fall, we say and do things we know we should not do. And John is simply saying, listen, you want a target to aim for? Rise above sin. But if you fall, you need to understand, you've got somebody in heaven who is constantly pleading your case before our Heavenly Father. That's why John said, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a beautiful thought. So today, here's the question we ask you. Is Jesus functioning as an advocate on your behalf? Is He right now in heaven defending you? That is, is He working on your behalf regularly? If not, did you know that he's willing to become your defendant, your defender, your counselor? He's willing to come to your aid. What would you need to do? Well, the Bible says that we have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. John wrote in chapter 8, Unless you believe in the Lord, you'll die in your sins. You have to be willing to repent of your sins, that is, turn from a life of sin, and then be buried with Christ in a watery grave of baptism. That's what Peter said in Acts 2, verse 38. When you do that, the Lord then adds you to the church, Acts 2, verse 47. 
you are a part then of the body of Christ, and Jesus is the Savior of that body, Ephesians 5.23. If you're unfaithful to the cause of Christ, I plead to you, come home. When I think about individuals that leave the Lord, I'm reminded of the fact that the Lord is willing to pardon every sin. There's nothing that you and I can ever say or do that cannot be forgiven. We just have to have the courage to confess it. Could we pray with you and for you? James said if we confess our sins one to another, or rather he says to confess your faults one to another, pray one for another. We'd be happy to pray with you and for you today as we stand and sing.